0: Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. And today, my guest is none other than Andy McGrath. What can I tell you about Andy? Well, to be blunt with you, he's one of the best writers in the cycling world, without a shadow of a doubt, and he's got the awards to prove it. Um, But if you've ever met him, you'll know this. He is an incredibly humble man who started writing under an exceptionally... Amusing alias when he's only 14 years old. Um, in fact, he'd probably never mentioned the fact that he won the William Hill Sportsbook of the Year award for his Tom Simpson book, unless you brought it up first. He's just that nice. Um, now, when he was the editor of Ruler magazine, he had some really exciting assignments, and we chat um, a bit about those, including the time that he had to convince a certain Greg LeMond to do karaoke. That is a bit of a hoot. Um, I also ask Andy what his advice would be to any prospective writers out there. So please do listen into this. And And in the Croydon quiz, where Andy of course hails from, we chat about former prime ministers, airports, and also, as a side tangent, an illegal stage invasion too. So put down your copy of God is Dead by Andy McGrath. Gratuitous a plug there. I'm unashamed to, uh, to pop that in. Give your eyes a rest from the beautiful writing therein and give your ears a workout instead, enjoying the dulcet tones of the man behind the words on the page, because this is the Andy McGrath episode. That time again. Man steals our blood. Podcast. Andy McGrath started writing at a very young age, using a rather hilarious alias that he's now quite embarrassed to recall. He began his sports reporting career aged just 14. Now his professional writing career began in the safe hands of Cycling Weekly, where he rose to the ranks of Chief Reporter. Later, he became the editor of Rouleur Magazine, so he's really been at the sharp end of cycling media his entire career. In 2017, he won the William Hill Book of the Year Award for Tom Simpson, Bird on the Wire. I caught up with Andy on the eve of the 2022 William Hill Award Ceremony, where his second book, a Frank van den Broek biography entitled God is Dead, was shortlisted for the same prize. Check it out. We're recording, aren't we? Absolutely wonderful stuff. Um, Andy McGrath, thanks for joining me on the pod.
1: Hello, Matt. Great to be here.
0: Thank you Uh, matey. Before we actually kick things off um, and to amble our way into uh, today's discussion, can you just tell people uh, and me, although I've got a bit of an inkling uh, of where you are, um, where you are and what you can see immediately around you. So it really does set the scene. So people are essentially with you.
1: I'm happy to do that. Um, I am in the South London cycling mecca of Hearn Hill. Oh. So I have a flat here. Um, so I'm from Croydon, as we're gonna come on to later, perhaps. Perhaps, yep. Perhaps, but, um, and yeah, there's there's a nice view of the um, autumnal-coloured leaves on trees. We're three floors up here, um, outside that is. Uh, in front of me, I've got a Bernard Hino-themed mug with tea in it. Um, the badger would approve, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and a copy of the Fence magazine and a plate on which I've had some toast. Brilliant and I'm in the stuff. living room as well, so plants around me and a sofa.
0: Very nice, mate, very nice. Well, just to continue the Bernardino theme, and this is one of the reasons I like to start uh, pods off like this, is to set the scene, is I think it, it can bring people closer together because um, I'm... A, a, not that we need uh, to become close together, and he very well indeed, but... Um, I, I haven't got a Bernard Now cup mug. I've got a mug that I got from um, a trip to a bike race um, in Singapore years ago, and it's just got this um, like a, a manga style face on it with a chip it, with a chip in the top. But underneath underneath the cup is a Lavi Claire coaster. Oh. So have, you know the Mondrian Lavi Claire coaster. Um, so and, and you can just. You can just hear it, uh, as if to prove it. Um, so there's there's quite already there's quite a lot of synergy uh, between us both.
1: Beautiful. Like I, I wasn't even um, alive when Lavi Claire and Bernardino were doing their thing and dominating bike racing. But oh, is there a classier jersey than, than Lavi Claire? I don't think so.
0: I, I don't think there is. Actually, while we're on that subject, oh, actually, Andy, um, can you? We, I've never done this before, but could you just remind me uh, and, our, and our listeners? Or you, you can do it two ways. You can either tell me using your voice, your age, or you can just text me and I'll just go, hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can think of an even better way, Matt. Why don't you text me how old you think I am? This is a game I always like playing. Okay. And right. I'll respond like, ooh, or, oh, that's nice. You've gone too high.
0: Okay, so I reckon, sublimey, so you weren't born... Oh, no, that was 86, wasn't it, sir? Andy McGraw, just fire you up. Uh, my last message was apologising for not recording the pod last week, wasn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> um I reckon... The, the, there you go. Just. Okay, just I could just hear the alert.
1: Oh, that's that's a very good guess. I mean, you've, you've really... You've done your homework, Matt, let me say. Okay. So... For the listeners, uh, Matt has WhatsApped me, not texted WhatsApp because of 2022, and yep. we don't text anymore really. Uh, the message reads: "I reckon you are 35 now. Nah, <laughs> you are only uh, nine months off being correct, so I'm 34." 34.
0: 34. That's not too bad, I guess, is it, mate? Well, um, well, thanks very much indeed. That's cool. What a lovely way to start the pod. Um, yeah, and we, we, uh, but so it, it that does actually. It's quite important really because um, in many ways it it gives me a sense because I've never asked you that before and I, I don't think I was ever really aware because you appear to me Andy if you don't mind me saying and I think we're, we're jumping forward a little bit here but I don't think it really matters is that you have a an exceptionally deep knowledge about bike racing and, and a real love of knowledge uh, sorry, a real love of knowledge we all love knowledge I guess but a, a, a real deep knowledge of cycling that maybe belies your age seeing as you haven't lived through several of the eras I mean Jumping ahead again, what came first—not the chicken or the egg—the cycling or the writing for you? Then,
1: oh, that's that's a good question. No one's really asked me that, especially not like that either, like chicken hmm. and egg. Um, the writing came first, you know. Like I was always uh, so I'm a tripler. Maybe the first tripler who's been on this podcast. Don't know.
0: Um, hold on a minute. This will be, I believe, when it goes out, maybe the hundred and first pod. And although I haven't got all, that, I think I think you're correct. I think we might actually um, in our in our like promo put. I, th- I think it won't be Andy McGrath, famous writer. It'll be um, you know only triplet to be on the pod, Andy McGrath. I think we're going to do that now. Um, I think he's probably just written that down. But I think you're right.
1: <phone rings> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It wasn't just a non sequitur, That wasn't me just announcing I'm a triplet. There was actually a reason for me mentioning that too. Like okay. I'm not just going around you know, boasting to strangers about it or random people. Um, no, so I'm a triplet with two sisters and we'd always go along on uh, long drives to Devon for summer holidays writing stories like in a, like in a book that my dad would give us because like, he was a teacher. Um, so this big exercise book. And I kid you not, like over, uh, over the course of about, I don't know, 10 years of childhood, we filled 100 of these books it's probably not an exaggeration with our stories, you know, just writing. Wow. Like one of them would write a chapter, I'd write like another, sometimes I would have a book to myself and I'd write down fake sport reports, like fake sports scores, like football scores, even a bit of cycling in the mid nineties. Actually, I remember Alex Zula and channel four coverage. Um, But Basically I was already, you know, practicing writing, if you will, and enjoying it without even trying really. Was, was that
0: having a job. Be, that, that's really interesting. So to, to I take it, the fact that you were aware of, of, of oh, he's a big rider at the time, um, but, but quite niche, actually. You, I mean, because of the the way that sport, well, cycling in particular, was reported on back then, cycling was still pretty niche in the mid-90s. But for you to have knowledge as a youngster of Alex Zula suggests to me that there must have been somebody within your family that was keen on cycling for that for you to have almost would well, just absorb that information and, and um all all that and started to write about it. That's that's quite interesting. Obviously, dad being a teacher, there's the academic side. But um so how did the cycling bleed in and and when did you become particularly interested in it then?
1: That's the thing, like nobody in my family was particularly especially keen on cycling. My dad oh, yeah. used to play rugby at quite a like high level. Um he played at like Twickenham and Tours Africa. Canada, Zimbabwe. I uh, played for a team called Richmond Rugby Club. It used to be, uh, you know, very good. Um, so, I was, so I played rugby until I was 12, 13. I was very small for my age, Matt, and I hmm. broke my arm several times. And me. Playing rugby. So I decided it wasn't for me. Right. Um, not my sport. Quite quick, but when I got caught, I tended to, uh, you know, crumple like a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> One of the better word
0: it's the thing is um I, I i did rugby at school um obviously a couple of decades before before you did um and I was the same i was very very small um as a teenager a very late um bloomer um and i was tiny but i used to sidestep the the tackles in practice and then but i knew i'd get banished to do some cross country instead so it was self-preservation mate because getting tackled by somebody who was a doubly as, as well almost double your height and double the density and weight I thought was actually even even at 13 12 I thought that that was just unsafe so I just it just, just wasn't a sensible thing to do I didn't really want to break my leg but uh, but yeah self-preservation was the key but uh, rugby and being small and slightly stunted as a child isn't a good idea is
1: it not for that sport no but for things like cross-country and cycling and a bit of football although going back to rugby the feeling mm. of of just dodging that tackle and breaking the line and running through to score a try. It's a really great feeling. Like it's probably, possibly like winning a bike race, a feeling I would not know, (laughs) but you do, Matt.
0: Um, I can can see what, I can just picture in my mind's eye actually, and this is the beauty of you, if you're being a a writer, you've already instilled in me, just in a very simple couple of lines, I can picture you um, running across a muddy pitch somewhere in South London perhaps um, and scoring a try um, half the size of everybody else but, <laughs> but somehow I've embellished it with my influence of, of rugby from the 70s so in my image you've got quite long hair a bit of a mullet and also you're wearing a headband as well I hope don't mind me adding that
1: that's beautiful my long kind of flowing locks um, <laughs> thing is i can't grow my hair out like it just goes sideways rather than down so it will only (laughs) ever be like a puffy bouffant like it won't be like you know led zeppelin or whatever those rockers in the 70s um oh mate i love the image um but no so rugby didn't work out the real moment for me was the 2002 tour de france like um i think we just got sky back at home sky tv which was a big deal like satellite tv was oh yeah still a rarity, you know, like I'm of the era when getting the internet, you know, five, six years before that was a huge thing or it was just, but anyway, we digress. Had got Sky, I think, well, I was on Eurosport listening to the dulcet tones of the late great David Duffield. Um, yep. it, it was a stage to, to, um, La Plana and Carlos Sastre was holding off Lance Armstrong. I think Michael Bugard was in there somewhere. In the middle, maybe. But I was just hooked. Like, I think it was a bit of the Lance Armstrong effect. Um, obviously, we didn't know um, then what we know now. But I was 13, 14 years old. And uh, it was just, it, it must have been the fans, the colors, the exotic nature. You know, you have this Spanish cyclist, this American cyclist, this Dutch one, all doing battle. Um, maybe it kind of revived something that, was already in me from, you know, watching Channel 4 in the mid-90s a little bit. Yeah. And I just started... Oh, and I got a, like, bike. So I got a mountain bike and started riding around, mainly on the road, not so much off-road. And, you know, going further and further afield, exploring the area south of Croydon. (laughs) 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 Lovely
0: pause there. That was beautiful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's good to get away from Croydon sometimes, concrete jungle into the, uh, into the Verdant countryside. Um, Often be timing myself actually, Matt, to try and be my personal record up to Botley Hill farmhouse for any people who know that area. And um, I just got completely hooked. You know, like it's like when you get into a secret society, well, do you know what it's like to be in a secret society actually? Uh, (laughs) Having some metaphors.
0: uh, I I briefly um, started a club um, of um, rock climbing experts when I was 12. We made badges and, and laminated them and then went rock climbing and promptly got stranded on a beach and had to be rescued. So that's the only, uh, the only club I've ever been a member of. Then I was a, briefly a member of the Desperate Dan Pies Club. But I kind of know what you mean.
1: Are your, so are your memberships still standing for those clubs or are they lapsed? Because a pie club sounds something I would like to be involved in it, it was
0: it was two pounds post order per year and it lapsed after two years uh, I think I've still got the badges somewhere so I am a lapsed member of the Desperate Dan Pie Eaters Club I'm afraid mate
1: that's a shame but it but never too late to revive you know, great no. things in the past um, <laughs> I do love pies I really love pies and winter's a great pie season
0: um, it is. Um, what, okay, but we're, I, I sense we're digressing. But I'm quite, quite interested because I, I like it, and you've intrigued me. You see, you're a storyteller, and now what you've done, you've sown the pie seed. And now <laughs> I want to know what your favourite savoury and, and your favourite sweet pie is before we move back to what we're talking about.
1: Oh well, um, what is it? Like ham and chicken? Is it ham and chicken or like? I think that. Uh, I think chicken it's chicken
0: I think it's chicken and I don't think anybody says ham and chicken uh, Andy. I, think, I think they say chicken and ham
1: chicken and ham yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly I'm not a connoisseur Um and kidneys up there Oof. Um, for say for sweet pies I'm just going to go completely I'm going to blow your mind and say banoffee pie which you weren't even thinking of because it's not it's not technically a, a pie yeah but it has pie in the in the work like in a in the title you know uh, yeah. in the headline <laughs> um,
0: okay nice
1: So I've gone rogue there, but um, we do digress. The point being that, um, you know, when you first get into cycling, which I can still remember so vividly, I I still remember the 2003 Tour de France at almost every stage, the attackers, the winners, but you're just, it's just like first love, but without any of the bad repercussions because you don't get broken up with. And I haven't had my heart broken. Um, And you're just learning so much, you know, like what's the world tour? What do these rankings mean? You have all these all these greats of the sport, and cycling is a sport, you know. That the bathes happily in nostalgia, and really, you know, takes its old champions along as new ones um, enter the sport. And it, I just learned so much, and it was, you know, it was a beautiful few years, you know, when you when you really get hooked on a sport. Um, and I started writing. I started writing for this small American web, cycling website um, called called dailypeloton.com. Okay. Um, which used to be bigger. I think it's still around. Um, so technically, I've been a cycling journalist since I was 14, 14 years wow. old. Um, well, actually, so Andy,
0: so what... So clearly you were... Uh, I wouldn't say exactly an early adopter because I guess the internet was knocking about, I mean, I do 98, 99. But again, early... Again, because of your age, you'd have been too young, really. But how did you... Did you just, after watching the cycling on the, on the telly, did you just want to, and there wasn't a lot of stuff on the internet back then about cycling, it was very limited, wasn't it? So did you find, just discover this website and and just think, I'm just going to send them some stuff or or was it unsolicited or how did that come about? And uh, clearly from what you're saying, you felt very, very strongly that you were almost like driven to write about it. Would that be fair to say?
1: That would be fair to say. Like yeah. I want to, I think I'd found something without really knowing that had really piqued my interest. It was definitely unsolicited. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is actually maybe a little bit embarrassing, but I was certainly embarrassed at the time. No, not, not at all.
0: Uh, not not at all. I mean, no, that's no, it. No. I think uh, when, when you when you read about, I can't remember the subject I was reading about a couple of days ago, but it was it was about people being unafraid to to ask a question or to. Or to speak to somebody that they they look up to and about not having it's not so much invading people's space, but it's just more being completely unafraid and taking risks and actually saying, well, if I want this, I've got to do it. And and clearly you you did that as a youngster without really even knowing there's a I think one of the beautiful things about being young is the naivety that comes with it and that you're unafraid to ask questions that once you mature slightly, you might be a bit more reserved about. So I think that's, I think that's really lovely. I, do, I think there's absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about when you do things as a kid like that.
1: Well, the embarrassing bit, Matt, is basically <laughs> okay. that my parents, my parents, I, you know, early internet, well, not early internet, like um, adopters, they're kind of, God bless them, they're Luddites a bit like me. And as you'll know, with the, the minor... F- Fandango we had getting my headphones sorted for this podcast. Uh, but it
0: did sound like you were trapped in a well and I was a little bit worried. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Literally.
1: Oh God, that'd be, that'd be terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah. But they, they were worried that people on the internet would see my name linked to articles and it would be some kind of um, security risk, for want of a better word. Um, so they... They weren't so keen on me doing it, unless I had a fake name, at least for the first few years. <laughs> okay. So I kid you not, like, I came up with, uh, this, is, this is embarrassing, but I'm cringing just about to say the fake name. I'm,
0: uh, you're cringing, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm just bloody excited.
1: <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's Andy McDobbin, McDobbin. Um, oh my God. What, what was are... I thinking?
0: So is that all you could come up with, mate? Andy it, McDobbin.
1: It sounds like a horse. Like, Dobbin is a horse name. Like,
0: it sounds like a horse or a, or a children's TV show, like puppet <laughs> character from the late 60s. Oh, my God. I've got a copy of God, God is Dead next to me, uh, which we'll go on into a bit. And I'm just, I'm imagining Andy McDobbin being the author <laughs>
1: across the top. I wouldn't say any, would it? Would it ruin my career? But luckily oh, I've moved on to my, to my real name. Um, oh, God. So yeah, I'm cringing hard, really hard. But, uh, but I wanted to write so badly that I went through with with that terrible name that I chose. You know, <laughs> kind of shooting myself in the foot.
0: <laughs> oh, mate, that's that's very very funny. That's very very funny. But clearly, um, looking at that that point in your life and now, um, it was it was it was wasn't serendipitous. Even it was it was something that you clearly wanted to do and and then how did that evolve from there then I mean clearly you, it was unsolicited you sent them uh, some writing under the, the pseudonym of um, Andy McDobbin At uh, what point was McDobbin dispensed with and when could you when did you flourish as McGrath
1: <laughs> spread my wings um, I think it was around my 16th birthday maybe I, I bought a lottery ticket and I like, had a gamble and done other things you can do when you're 16 yeah or is it 18 I can't remember um Maybe I, I broke the law when I was sixteen by by doing those things. Who knows? Um, I'm not sure, actually.
0: I, I tell you what. Just briefly, can we bring in Niall? Niall, do you know what the legal age is? I, and uh, luckily, I think the statute of limitations is, is 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 over with. Uh, what's the the legal age <laughs> for uh, lottery tickets? Just so Andy's not you know, eighteen I mean, or sixteen. I'd expect a former police officer to know that better than I would, to be honest. <laughs> Okay, I, I think I think it's actually eighteen, Andy. So you technically have broken the law. Thank you for that, Niall. No
1: <laughs> Unbelievable! Wow, I'm just uh, I'm just breaking the law off left, right, and centre, aren't I? Um, so
0: te- technically, um, I mean, only technically, you're uh, a lottery fugitive, Andy, and that's the cops coming after you now. <laughs> can you hear
1: that? Oh, I can. I can. Get it's pretty quick, good. aren't they? Everyone's listening really, these days, I, you know.
0: I didn't realise that Niall was live streaming this pod so uh to the local there we go oh blimey
1: um, i'm just gonna text now like, don't, <clears throat> so don't dob me in you know can you just hold it off for a few minutes so i, I can get away
0: don't dob in mcdobbin is what you're saying <laughs> yeah
1: okay. update update news flash gentlemen.
0: <laughs> what is what's the update um back when you were 16 it was illegal to sell lottery tickets or scratch cards to someone under the age of 16 so you're grand
1: they changed the law in 2021 20, to 18, Oh, but you're crap.
0: So you're cool, actually. For you! Uh, it Ooh. was a false rap. False rap. Okay, we can all relax. We can all relax. Um, so, so yeah, so um, you were 16, approximately. Mm. Um, and you, when did you realise then, Andy, that you you could potentially do this? Or actually, yeah, at what point did you think, I want to do this for a living? Or did that not actually happen? Did it just evolve and you thought, hmm? How did things evolve from that point?
1: It's the thing, Matt. Like I think sometimes, like people want to do a certain job, and they have a very clear, strong, you know, drive towards that, and they do everything in their power, consciously to do that. I think I was a level below that, you know, subconsciously. Like even now, there's something very strong, you know, driving me. But um, after university, like skipping forward a few years, so I'd been to York University, lovely place to cycle around there. In fact, did. The most cycling that I've ever done in my life around, you know, in those three years because I was a feckless student, uh, (laughs) drinking and not going to my lectures. Um, And what were you studying? um, Literature, was it? Or write or English literature, yeah, for three years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Not reading Ulysses. Sorry, James Joyce fans. But it's very long (laughs) and I still haven't read it. So shoot me. Um, After that, I was going to do a postgraduate in magazine journalism. So, so I wanted to write for Cycling Weekly, really, and I'd always yeah. bought Cycling Weekly. It was you know, pretty much the only racing magazine in the UK, and I'd be buying it from the shop every week. And I've written into their—I think I wrote to the Cycle Sport editor then, uh, who's Ed Pickering now, the editor of
0: Rouleur—asking
1: mm. for work experience. Um, and I spent um, a month after university there in Croydon, which is my hometown, you know, so could it be more convenient? Brilliant. couldn't quite walk to work, but I could cycle. Well, I did cycle. And I basically, well clearly I made tea very well. And uh, I did a few good interviews cause they wanted me to stay on. So in the end I, I scrapped my plans for, oh wait, no, I wasn't going to do a post magazine journalism. Originally I was going to do a gap year after uni. But that all got scrapped. And instead I became a news reporter for Cycling Weekly, going to beautiful places like the Girvan in Scotland and (laughs) the East Yorkshire Classic in Beverly. I'm kind of being facetious, but I actually loved it. Like I absolutely loved it. You know, I couldn't drive, so I'd be getting the train to these random places. Trained to like Dumfries via Carlisle. Uh, interviewing Dave Clark after winning the East
0: Yorkshire Classic. Love Dave Clark a lot of time. Do you know man. what, I, I, Dave Clark, um, he li- I, I live in Derby now, as, you, as I think I've told you, and um, he's quite local. And I've recently asked him to do my bathroom. Um, so we're hoping to sort, I need to put that on my to-do list to remind him to come around and, and have a look at our bathroom. So uh, yeah, he's an absolutely corking plumber and was the only cyclist that I'm aware of that actually turned up to a race with a car that was powered by chip fat um yeah amazing but and and a bloody good bike rider as well dave sorry i just digressed a little bit
1: no i I think dave clark is a potential future guest maybe he's got so many he's been to so many places done so many things such a nice man one of those unrecognized you know just like british cycling cult heroes i suppose yeah I i think
0: i think that's a really good way of putting it definitely a cult hero um but Woe betide, if you were left with him at the back end of a, of a race over 100 miles, he would just slowly but surely bludgeon you to death. Uh, that was his style. Um, yeah. Um, I, oh, my, my legs are kind of tingling um, with, um, I don't know, with pent-up lactic from back in the day. Uh, day. <laughs> Muscle sorry. Memory. Indeed, yeah. But the, the thing is, though, when you look at, I mean, a, a few people will be listening. Many will be listening and know, knowing exactly what, no, Cycling Weekly, um, I think, endearingly referred to as the comic by my dad and then by myself. But it was pre, pre-internet. pre And even now, it's still going strong, isn't it? There's obviously more of a web presence. But it was the the magazine that, as a cyclist, as a, as a rider, you wanted to get, your firstly, your name in. So I remember scouring Cycling Weekly in the late 80s when I first get, got my ever result. And it was literally my name next to a time trial time. And I remember looking at it and thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. And, and I think that puts into perspective how... um how important Cycling Weekly is is, as a a magazine to anybody who's remotely interested in cycling in our country. So it really is, it is part of the firmament, isn't it? Um, And so I ended up writing for that that magazine, Weekly Magazine, was massively important.
1: Oh, it's been integral to probably so many, you know, bike riders' lives, maybe without realising it. Yeah. Like, just trying to get your name in there. Like, just as as a journalist, my first cuttings were huge. Like, I briefly dabbled with racing thinking I, I I could get a top 10 in a cat four race and end up in there. Like it, it's just, it, it's kind of recognition, isn't it? For what you do, like whether, whether you're a bike racer or a writer. Um, but yeah, yeah, hugely important too. the timing also that I came in 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 July 09 as Bradley Wiggins was doing his thing to full place in the Tour de France, you know, fighting Lance Armstrong um, and Contador and doing something that people had previously thought was impossible, really. Like, it is crazy to think how far we've moved on in the last 13, 14 years, but I don't think we'd had a British podium finisher in the Grand Tour. And of course he was on the podium in 09, but that would change very soon. And the years I was there, I now realise was a kind of golden age for British cycling, like not just in terms of Olympic results, of which we had many gold medals and Tour de France breakthroughs of Cavendish, Wiggins, Chris Froome, but also interest in cycling in the UK, maybe even internationally. You know, it was a special time, and you don't really appreciate that till when you're out the other side, maybe you know, three, five years later, and even at Cycling Weekly, we had a amazing crew of you know young people we worked hard we played hard yeah it, it was amazing it was amazing
0: no it's I think and when you look back now and, and we'll get on to the present day shortly but it's lovely just to hear about your your journey through to where you are today um, and most people that I have on the pod given the very nature of the pod are cyclists themselves or professionals ex-professionals we go a bit tangential now and again but it's quite you know, I joined a club. I, I was influenced by my parents, but I I love the way that you were just the sport just somehow spoke to you um, through its 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 simple beauty, and then and then slowly you just over time almost fell in love with a friend almost, and 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 it and it is what you do now, and and, and I think what what is important through that, especially looking at what you do now, is you are clearly uh, an exceptionally gifted writer, and therefore, a communicator. You, you convey these stories in a way. And, and and I think what isn't spoken about particularly often, we look at the feats of sportsmen and women that we look up to. Um, but then those stories need to be told. Clearly, television um, can do that in, in one way. So you've got your commentators over the top, and then you've got the writers that perform a, a vital, vital function, uh, which is to, can is to in, in a way that... Um, It's just about grabbing people's attention and telling those stories. Are you aware of, have you ever thought about how important your role is of telling those stories and keeping people engaged with the sport, falling in love with it, trying to dissect it a little bit more, peel away some of the layers um, in relation to the characters in the sport? Were you ever conscious of that or was it just a pure love for it or did you ever... Consciously become forensic ab- about what you do, or would you say that you've just evolved and just got better as, you, as, you've, as you've as you've as you've got slightly older?
1: Well, first thanks for the kind words, then, Matt. Um, no,
0: I mean it, mate. You, you, I mean, you, you're an exceptionally. Talented writer, and, you, you, and and that's been recognised on multiple occasions. And it's worth mentioning as well that you've been nominated again, haven't you, for the William Hill Book of the Year Award for for God Is Dead? So, I mean, um, these are, I mean, th- these are justified. I mean, you you, you have a, a particular, you have a gift.
1: Yeah, I've had the finals tomorrow, so I'll maybe drop you a little voice note that you can play. Oh, on the is it tomorrow? I, didn't if, I win, if I win, Oh,
0: fingers crossed, <laughs> mate. Fingers crossed.
1: But um, yeah, I'm forensic and some ways with the writing, with the research. Um, I, I, I was kind of thinking about this like before the pod that I feel a responsibility, you know, to the rider. You know, when, I'm, when you're interviewing a rider in depth, you maybe it sounds a little bit pretentious, but you want to capture their essence. You want to capture who they are. Totally. And to skip forward a little bit. So I moved on to Rouleux where I was for nine, nine great years. Ruler was a place where you're really given the time and the space to tell who they are as a human being, but also as a bike racer. And we were also given, you know, the time by many press officers and agents to do that, you know, spending days sometimes with bike riders and that is a responsibility like to them first and foremost, but also to the reader who you want to, you know, you want to ask things that are in the public interest. I've got to be honest, most of the time when I write things, I, I don't think of of a reader out there. Like sometimes I'm surprised that anyone's reading it at all, but of course they are. And maybe that's a good thing for freedom and flow, And maybe otherwise I'll, I'll be just completely stuck, like overthinking things. Um, yeah, most of the time I'm, I'm not thinking about the possible reader, just as long as I trust the process to use maybe a day Brailsfordism, <laughs> yep. trust the process do my research beforehand because it's just respect, you know, to anyone you're interviewing. As you know, Matt, you always do your research. Um, Do your research, be interested and be curious, like be curious. Of course there are things you're going to want to ask before the interview, but maybe you can go off on a tangent and it can lead to many other areas too. So, you know, so I'm not too fixated on certain questions too much. Um, So it's a bit of, you know, it's a bit of, a pure love of the sport, and a bit of you know, pure love of the craft of writing and interviewing because it is a craft, and you know, it can go in so many different ways when you're writing a long feature.
0: It's a, it's really really interesting hearing you talk about that because um, obviously I do a lot of interviews. I do it in a slightly different way. They're recorded. I don't have to commit anything to paper. Now and again, I do. I, I have uh, many like a few years ago. I did write an article under the tutelage of of our friend Ian Cleverly. Um, which I was very, very proud to get published but I find writing a lot harder than just, just the interview process but I think fundamentally one of the most important things about giving, being, firstly being given the freedom to be expansive in, in conversation and and I, I, I don't like to use the word interview too much I like to use the word conversation just having a conversation um, is trust and, um, and that's something that takes a while and it, it, interestingly you touched on a really with ruler magazine um when you end up writing for ruler magazine just because of the brand itself let let, let's be fair um and its history um its credibility you are immediately given a little bit more space than a lot of other people and 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 that that's taken time to build up but and then you build your name as a writer as well so you you earn the i think you not earn the right but you it, it doesn't come quickly does it this this right to be able to speak expansively and, and my, my point is is that the best interviews are rooted in a trust between the interviewee and the interviewer or, or, or the conversation is basically rooted in trust and the more trust there is the more expansive deeper and honest the conversation is, is that what you found
1: yeah I'd say that's right I mean it's a combination that absolutely Rulo is a golden ticket to having more time and space with people. Um, but I also think that bike riding only goes so far. Like, of course you're in you're conversing with a person for a reason, you know, like sometimes interviews are superficial scenarios, but yeah, I always like to you know, talk about normal human things too, because that's a fundamental thing that yeah, you could pepper a feature with race results, but if they're not happy in their lives, then they're not going to even be close to the front, like of bike races. So sometimes you know, just not talking about cycling for the first half an hour is really good, and just see what they're into. Um, yeah, because uh, this is the thing. Like, life is life is is complicated. Sport is complicated. Cycling is really complicated, and it's just so nice to have. It's a luxury, really, with Ruler. Ruler is a luxury, premium magazine. You know, yeah, it's a luxury to have that space. And of course, when you work there too, it's much easier to just commission yourself to do flights of fancy, ridiculous features that I did when I was there. Like some of the things I look back and I think, what was I, what was I on? Like the quest, <laughs> like one was in 26, it... one was 2016, yeah. Yeah. Um, which should be 30 years after the like Lavi Claire tour, tour like dominance. I made it my mission to track down every member of their nine or 10 man team to weave together kind of as told to very long feature. So I sat down with Bernard, Eno and talked to him, which is very scary. You know, actually probably there's always a possibility that he could flip at any time, even though I know he couldn't, he's still Bernard, Eno, and he kind of looks you with that badger kind of slight grimace sometimes, maybe because of my average French, um, and I sat down with Greg Lamond, who's kind of chalk and cheese to, you know, who's a one of the nicest men in, in cycling and could it's talk He's lovely, isn't he? He's he's just I tried to get him to do karaoke once, Matt, and Ooh. him and Kathy weren't up for it. That's a shame. Not because of their lack of kind of karaoke enjoyment or outgoingness, they have a huge amount of outgoing nature, but they're not good singers, so they said no on that occasion. Um, but I thought, anyway
0: I, Yeah Yeah, <laughs> in, in, yeah Interesting um, Yeah Interesting side story I'll have to pick up on that Because uh, spent a little bit of time with them as well Maybe I'll I'll try and carry on that thread And get back to you
1: Yeah do do wonder What would Greg Lamond have chosen As his Song of choice of karaoke Springsteen reckon, maybe It
0: could be Springsteen I reckon It could be into Hair Hair metal Of the Of the late 80s I think Um Yeah I don't know. I could be comp- well. I probably am completely and utterly wrong. I don't think even that that's something you can even look up. What is Greg Mans, um, chose favorite music? I wonder if Google actually do that. Um, maybe Niall's doing that in the background.
1: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the, the people need to know. <laughs> yeah,
0: they do. Well, this is this is the beauty. It, it, it so, so that freedom that you. What did you learn? <laughs> I haven't... Re- that article clearly happened then. Did you manage to track everybody down? Because um, obviously I've got so many copies of Rouleau knocking about, but I, I can't... I would be... Um, it would be... Well, it would be an untruth if I said I'd written, written, sort of read every single article. But did did you manage to track everybody down?
1: I think I tracked everyone down. Wow. Um, apart from Paul Coakley, the kind of mysterious director sportive. Oh,
0: the Swiss uh, coach, um, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, the coach. Um... I think I, maybe I was missing one, but it didn't really matter, you know. But what you had was this untold story, you know, because you have all their perspectives. Then when Greg Lamont says something, you can then interview Eno afterwards and say, Greg said this, what do you make of that? Or like, Nicky and said this. And it was, it was so hard to write. And I'm just thinking, like, someone who wasn't like even born then, why did I do that? But I just loved it. Like, I loved the challenge of, of like... And it's such a crazy thing to do. And I knew that no, this is the thing with Ruler, Like when I was there half the time, it was like, well, no one else is going to do this because it's too hard or it's too crazy. Or maybe it's too stupid. So why don't we do it? You know? So that's what we did. Sometimes we took a, we did a whole paris Bay edition, my favorite race, Paris-Roubaix. Um, we just took a whole carload of writers and photographers, And it was socially, it was one of my most enjoyable experiences at ruler Cause we'd, you know, you work really hard in the day and we'd, you know, one day we'd be interviewing Evel Burson-Hagen, then another would be talking to the person who paints the line, who repaints the lines in Brubay Villadrome, you know, very important job. Um,
0: that's, you know, that's lovely that that sort of storytelling is 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 quite rare, isn't it? And clearly you're, you're somebody who, who fitted with that. And that just being inquisitive and a little bit left field, and piecing together those stories. And I do remember speaking to Ian Cleverly about that very, that very magazine, because he was editing at that point, wasn't he? Um, and uh, I don't know who came up with the idea, but the idea was to stitch together the varying stories that of Para Bay. And that's one thing that I harp on about about bike racing is the fact there are multiple stories going on, and there's multiple stories uh, within the race that aren't actually people that are racing as well that 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 do fit it all together everybody has a different perspective on it and it's quite exceptionally complex but if you can try and paint a picture like each you paint a picture of (laughs) i'm 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 getting lost in my own analogy here but um each character is a different color of paint and it's just exceptionally complex but if you can it must be a real challenge to try and weave all that together, but but it's not done enough, is it? And and I guess ruler did give you the freedom to be exceptionally expansive and quite bold, and and clearly taking a little bit of a risk as well.
1: Yeah, this is the thing. There's so many stories out there, and there's so many media and filters for that now. Like maybe a bike rider would go on Instagram these days and talk about the terrible day that he had that nobody saw on camera. Yeah, but like as a journalist, I, I still feel like it's our job to uncover those too and you know tell these beautiful or interesting or curious or sad stories like yeah cycling's just a starting point often and that leads on to misfortune or you know great joy or unfortunately sometimes tragedy too um yeah i think so. that
0: yeah it, it it's i mean i'm just conscious of not not we, we think that that leads us quite nicely into into Andy McDobbin's God is Dead book, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what I think I'd like to just break slightly, um, we mentioned earlier on that you were brought up in Croydon.
1: That is correct.
0: South Croydon. South Croydon. Yeah. South Croydon. So... Um, we're going to now move on to um, a lot of people's favourite part of, the, um, of, of, of Matt Stevens Unplugged, and then we will talk about um, the books that you've, um, that you've written in part two of the pod. But for now, Andy, sit back and relax. Well, actually, not don't sit back and relax. Sit forward on your chair. Become ever so slightly tense, because it's time for the Croydon quiz. Yo, yo, what's up? Y'all ready? Uh-huh. Uh. Let's do it. Ta-ta. Turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the... A... Croydon quiz. There we go. Um, have you ever heard such a wonderful jingle?
1: I felt like doing the robot in the middle of that. Surely some listeners
0: did too. I'm I'm sure some of them do, they keep it under their hats. Uh, Maybe we should ask viewers or listeners, sorry, to to film themselves doing the robot to the Croydon quiz jingle. Um, And we might, you know, get upwards of, of, of two or three videos through. Right, so the Croydon quiz, it's a quiz about Croydon and you'll be happy to know, Andy, that it's a multiple choice quiz. We're not gonna super put you on the spot. So if in doubt, have a punt okay and um, this took me the best part of two hours to compile i'll have you know but there are only four questions um are
1: you sitting comfortably i am leaning forward i'm, I'm still tense from the sirens so don't worry about that
0: yeah i mean you, you will although you are uh, technically innocent you're still gonna be looking over your shoulder a little bit and that was quite a nervous a nervous moment earlier on in the podcast but thankfully we're past that now and it is time for question number one of the Croydon quiz okay now my eyesight's getting a bit poor I'm gonna have to hold my moleskin a little bit further away from my face than I normally do I need to have an eye test I really really do Uh, right okay Andy question one which former UK Prime Minister was nearly killed during takeoff whilst 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 taking flying lessons, sorry, at Croydon Airport in 1919, a year before the airport formally opened. So I'll read it again, slightly better this time. Which former UK Prime Minister was nearly killed during takeoff whilst taking flying lessons at Croydon Airport in 1919? Okay, was it A, Stanley Baldwin, B, Neville Chamberlain, C. Winston Churchill or D. Clement Attlee Oh, right So, yeah, there was a Croydon Airport um, It was the biggest UK airport until Heathrow opened, actually I think it closed in about 1954
1: Is that so you know more about Croydon than I do, Matt? <laughs> well, um, there you go I am just. I do like my history, but I I'm thinking 1919 Churchill probably involved in the World War One effort, maybe it had it ended then or was it 1918 anyway I,
0: I think the, see- I think First World War just was it 11 to actually the what, First World War was it, was it 11 to 9, 11 it, to 18 or 11 to 19 14
1: to 18 14 to 18 yeah. sorry um, so I just don't see Churchill flying you know he's not a flying kind of guy is my feeling um, he loves a good life he's not going to get in the cockpit so readily Chamberlain it could be who are the other ones Baldwin
0: all so all of these um, were quite close together in terms of leading the country. Uh, so yeah, Stanley Baldwin, Neville Chamberlain, uh, Winston Churchill, and Clement Attlee. Um, their first names: um, Stanley, Neville, Winston, and Clement. That really does give you an insight into names of the first part of the century, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't
1: got any friends called Stanley Neville. No, or I don't even know, Winston.
0: I don't, no, I've got. A Stan, uh, I know a Stanley. I know a Stanley, but I, I don't name. know. A ne- I don't know a Neville, and I don't know a Clement.
1: No. Well, if there's any who listen to the podcast, get in touch. Get in touch. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We digress, of course. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go for Clement Attlee. I think a younger Clement Attlee, about 30 years before he was in uh, in office.
0: Okay. Um, Unfortunately, Andy, it's incorrect. It was indeed a young Winston Churchill. Um, who nearly died during takeoff off um, at Croydon Airport when he was in the RAF, briefly, yeah, so... i um, take it back, Winston. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think back then, I mean, in his in his later years, uh, when he did lead the country, um, he was a slightly of, of heavier frame, I think it's fair to say, but I think he was more of a whippet uh, back in the 1900, back in the early no, yeah, the 19-teens, as it were. So, um, not a great start, Andy, I'll be honest with you, but <laughs> you've still got time to turn things around. I've got three more questions. Okay. question number two, the main concert hall, um, the main concert hall in Fairfield Halls in Croydon was used to shoot a scene in what well-known film? Okay. so the main concert hall in Fairfield Halls, which I've been to a gig at uh, in Croydon was used to shoot a scene in what very well-known film? Was it A. The Untouchables, B. The Da Vinci Code, C. Quadrophenia or D. Tommy?
1: Oh, so, are yeah. all, all very coin. viable options
0: yeah The Untouchables, The Da Vinci Code, Quadrophenia or Tommy
1: not, um, I don't even know what Tommy is to be honest
0: so Tommy is a film uh, starring Roger Daltrey of The Who who plays a blind pinball player and it's got an amazing soundtrack by um, people like Elton John stuff like that so I think Tommy was made Shortly after Quadrophenia, actually. So it's a it's a musical. It's like a an out there musical. Um, yes.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I watched it after this pod. I not it's, it's, it,
0: it's worth it. It's a, it's a proper trip. Actually, it's a really it's a really interesting film. Quite surreal, actually.
1: Well, sounds really good. Um, mm. Don't you code? I, I think I, w- I would have known if Tom Hanks had been involved
0: in the in, in, in filming. Yeah.
1: So. I think it's, I think, I think Quadrophenia, you know, Brighton, Croydon, Connection.
0: Okay, you're going to go for Quadrophenia. Unfortunately, it's the wrong answer. It was indeed the Da Vinci Code. Clearly, you didn't get the memo um, that Tom Hanks was in town. Um, I like the fact that you thought you you might be aware like that like the studio might have got in contact and just dropped you a text. Hey Andy, we're in town. We thought you might want to meet Tom, but they didn't, um, unfortunately. So, um, I'm gonna tot up the score so far it's zero. Um, But again, if you do using just pure mathematics, if you get the next questions right, you can score 50%, okay? So this is still retrievable. So, oh, by the way, there's a bonus question here and you're gonna get a point back. I forgot about this bonus question. Um, Okay, bonus question. When watching which artist in concert in 1994, did I, Matt Stevens, jump on stage only to get bundled off by security? So in 1994, I watched a gig in Fairfield Halls, Croydon. Um, I, I was completely sober. I'd had a wimpy on a plate uh, just before. I was 24 years of age, but I jumped on stage in, in an enthused state um, only to get bundled off by security. Who, who was the concert? Yeah, who was in concert? Who did I watch?
1: And there's no options.
0: There's no options. Um, (laughs) Because it's a bonus question, you see.
1: Oh, okay, right. Um, Who's going to get you really excited? 94.
0: Bear in mind, this is 1994, and and things have changed, and his perception publicly isn't quite as
1: favourable as it was then. Oh, because I was going to say Suede, but I think everyone still loves Suede. Yes. I'm thinking maybe Morrissey. Correct, it is oh. Morris. You've got a point back, mate. Yes.
0: Back in the game. Oh, back in the games. He's got a point. So the, and I'm going to give you one and a half points because that was so beautifully deduced. You got one and a half points. So there's a possibility you could still score 70, 82% in this quiz. Right, so well done. Um, Morrissey, it was. I, I jumped on stage, uh, tripped over the amp, collapsed at his feet, and was dragged away by security. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a. Tr- Okay, question, question number three. Okay, um, Croydon is the setting of two poems by British poet, by British poet laureate Sir John Betjeman. Um, what is the name um, from these four choices of one of those poems? So Croydon um, was or is the setting of two poems by British poet laureate Sir John Betjeman. Um, what is the name of? A poem that he wrote from these four. So basically, I've made three of these up, and one is correct. One is a poem by John Betjeman, okay? The choices are, A, Croydon, B, O Croydon, C, My Croydon, or D, Love in Croydon. So which one of those is an actual poem? Croydon, O Croydon, My Croydon, Love in Croydon.
1: I'm not an expert of the canon of the great John Betjeman. Um, let's go for I mean, it. Could be any of them, couldn't it? It could be. You've you've made up some good ones. Um, oh, Croydon.
0: It is just simply Croydon. I'm afraid um, uh, I made up O'Croydon. Croydon. Um, I made up My Croydon and I made up Loving Croydon. But he Loving Croydon write.
1: should be a poem or a song.
0: Yeah, I know. But I I do love the way that he just kept it pure. Uh, The poem that he wrote about Croydon is simply called Croydon. And I think there's a pause before you say it as well. Okay, question number four. You've still got one and a half points courtesy of the Morrissey bonus question, which is quite problematic in many ways. But anyway, let's move on (laughs) to question number four. Which world famous rock act played their first ever gig at the Greyhound in Croydon in 1972? So which world-famous rock acts played their first ever gig at the Greyhound in Croydon in 1972? Was it A, Queen? B, ELO, or the Electric Light Orchestra? Or was it C, Wings? Or was it D, The Jam? So Queen, ELO, Wings, or The Jam?
1: Before giving my answer, Matt, can I just ask, at which other gigs have you rushed the stage in a state of hysteria?
0: (laughs) only one that was my As my uh, I didn't have the courage beforehand and then after that i after been bundled off um, semi-violently um, I, I decided it would be better just to to stay where you were allowed really because it was borderline illegal <laughs> what, what I did so I've never done it since actually it's the only time I've ever stage invaded
1: have you stage what's the one where you're lifted on a lot
0: of people shoulder stage dived. So, uh, stage, I think it's, it's known as stage, uh, as crowd surfing. Crowd ne- surfing, I've never crowd surfed, but I was at a suede gig in at Watford Town Hall and I lost a shoe. Uh, I was in the mosh pit, lost a shoe, never found it. So I had to kind of hop home and it was a damp day. So my, I think it was my left sock got quite soggy um, on the way home. Maybe Brett Anderson found that
1: <laughs> shoe and, and kept it.
0: I, I'll have a word, I, I do, I, I, I saw um, Qu- um, Sway quite recently at uh, Alexander Palace, one of my favorite bands actually, but um, he's never mentioned the shoes, so I might DM him, um, we'll see.
1: Do it, um, anyway, <coughs> <laughs> I wanna say Queen, but I'm. I think it's too early, so The Jam.
0: I'm going to give you another chance here. Let's go. For, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to go. I'm going to give you a chance to go fifty-fifty. So I'm going, to, it, it, I'm going to take away the jam and wings. So you've got left with two answers: Queen or ELO. 1972.
1: Queen. It's ELO. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you really helped me there. <laughs> I still got it wrong. Sorry. You should have been like Queen. Or
0: oh, ELO, ELO, it's ELO, Andy. Sorry, okay. I should have given you. Yeah. So let's just tot up the scores here. Um, it, is, it is still worth a round of applause. It was quite a tough quiz. Um, but um, yeah, you, you scored one and a half out of four, which Nile in a percentage equates to a deafening silence. That's quite a complicated bit of mathematics. <laughs> But anyway, well, well done. Um, yeah, that was. I, I do like doing the quiz, but to tell you what, um, you did all right there because I was quite, I mean, getting the bonus question um, was was a tough one. So well done. Right, uh, moving on to the. Um, we had a, this has been a great chat actually so far, but we've not even talked about your. Um, ach- and I think is it fair to say an achievement um, when you winning the the William Hill Prize for your your book on on Tom Simpson. What, do, uh, firstly, give us a little bit of insight into why you wrote that book or why you felt the need to write that book? Because books have been written about Tom Simpson in the past, but why did you feel the need um, personally to write that book about Tom?
1: I think timing was a big factor. So when was it? It was like 2016, maybe. I was coming to my late 20s and I was thinking about, you know, maybe I want to write a book. And it just so happened that I went for a drink. I think I went for, for a nice gin and tonic with... Uh, the the founder of Ruler and the former editor a man called Guy Andrews um, and he was just starting doing some book projects with Rafa and I think it basically came about that we had a very similar idea to do something about Tom Simpson ahead of the 50th anniversary of his death um, on Mont Ventoux and it, it just went from there really but but something different something striking it's kind of. So the book I did is, you know, part, part photography, unseen photos, Mm. um, and part words, you know, 50,000 words, you know, broken into chapters, a beautiful book made by Rafa, beautifully produced, you know, high quality paper. And I think I I only had about nine months to do it, which was actually a really good thing because it focuses the mind. Um, but, Really, to answer your question, I think I've just drawn to Simpson that um, he is this legend who was, of course, way before everyone's time on this podcast. Yeah. Who's, yeah. well, Matt and I. Um, I. I just, but also, you know I always have the hunch that there's untold stories about almost anyone. Yeah. And the risk is when you commit to doing, like, a book, you then have to... <laughs> hopefully find out you're right. Because if there aren't, then you're really in trouble. Um, but also also drawn to the idea of basically old people have really good stories. Like the older you get, the less you care about what what people think and the more life you've lived. So I would be going to like Billy Holmes, house in Lancashire, really, really nice man. I think it was like up in Lancashire. Yeah. Um, in his late seventies, an Olympic silver medal kind of winner, and he's a great storyteller. I could have stayed there all day. And, yeah. But also finding completely, you know, random teammates. Like so there was this French teammate called Henri Duez, who had what a
0: brilliant name. Yes, <laughs> Henri Dues.
1: Duez was not named after him. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say he's not that old. Yeah. Um, but and again, this kind of tells you what cycling was like in the sixties when there was next to no money in it. When he quit the sport he opened up his own driving school the Honorary Duez driving school and ran that for pretty much the rest of his life and, but I'd be going with these people you know Jan Jansen the former Tour de France winner in of the course, Netherlands yeah.
0: The, yeah.
1: I'd be driving around um, getting their recollections and thankfully they were so generous with their time and had incredible stories about Simpson because he was a larger than life character uh, that's what kind, oh. of drew, kind of drew me to him too you, you can tell from just the photos that he had something a charisma
0: oh, a yeah. magnetism
1: like about him <laughs>
0: that was different he he was my um i mean i he was my father's hero i mean I remember my dad the first person i remember my my father speaking my father my, uh, my dad des speaking about was tom simpson uh, and because I, as, as I became aware of of cycling and I had my own heroes like kelly lamond uh, robert miller um I learned about Simpson with my dad. I said, who did you look to? And he, and he said, well, this Tom Simpson. And um, And my dad really did. I mean, it was... And, wh- and when I learned about the, the, what happened to Tom ultimately as, as a very young person, I was like, wow. Uh, but there's something, yeah, there's something special about Tom Simpson that's difficult to put into words, I think. And, and when you think about what he achieved as a rider and the fact he was Sports Personality of the Year and the rest of it. and um, But his story uh, is, is an amazing one. But I... Just to get back to my point, I, I love the way, Andy, that you set out on the, to find stories rather than tell a known story, because quite often um, you set out to tell a story that's already known, but you put it in your own way. But you were writing a book, essentially, because his story is out there, isn't it? it? A lot of it is known. But setting out to tell a story, and you don't know what the story is, must have been almost like a... Did you feel almost like a detective trying to uncover stuff, or, or, or was it or what, what mindset did you set out with? Apart from being ever so slightly anxious, I guess, on trying to find these stories.
1: Well, that's a really nice way of like putting it. Like, that's why I kind of like my job the most is when I'm kind of on these you know missions, like a secret detective, uh, trying to find something in the narrative that is true but isn't out there yet. Um, but also, it's really important to note that. I felt and still feel that the death of of Tom Simpson kind of overshadowed his beautiful life and the things he'd won, the races, the great races he would won. I kind of wanted to address that balance and just put it into context, you know, and shrink that tragic, uh, kind of death, you know, down to size. Um, so also because there are other books about Simpson. So I was just, I mean, his life is a framework for that book but I always wanted to put in, you know, fresh details. I'd found new anecdotes to kind of update it. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was a really fascinating process. Um, I I did not expect the book to win, you know, the William Hill sports book of the year prize. It was, well, it's a huge shock. Like I just got my parents down to the awards saying, look, I'm not going to win. You know we're up against a Muhammad Ali biography that's 900 pages but yeah. there's free champagne and we're gonna have a good time um,
0: I mean just I, I, I again a bit of a hackneyed cliche really um, as, as an interviewer especially at bike races describe the feeling as you cross the line I mean that must have been a proper cross the line moment for you especially when, when you it was clearly unexpected and I know you've been asked this before but just for the um, just for the our, our podcast listeners that moment that you were told that you'd won. Um, how did, how did that feel?
1: Um, the rush of adrenaline is mad. Like the jolt, the shock, like, I just couldn't believe they said it. And um, yeah, like, oh, I'm a bit emotional. Um, because my dad gave me like the biggest hug, like, he nearly took my head off, like, <laughs> but he was so proud, like, you know, when you can just feel it physically, yep. as yep. well as like emotionally, um, yep. and my mom, um, I'd have them there, you know, basically the ones that got me into, into writing. My dad got me to sport, basically, like all kinds of sport. Like I was a football nut before cycling. Um, but also there was a little bit of panic after the adrenaline map because I had to do a speech. Yeah. I hadn't prepared anything. <laughs> I wasn't ready in the slightest. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I was like, what am I going to say to this room of 200 people? Um, but I kind of bumbled through it. Like I was so happy that... Thank the judges, you know, commended everyone else. It was, the adrenaline, it was mad though. The adrenaline just hit me, yeah, a wave.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, and just because we do need, we've, it's been such a lovely chat. This could easily be a two or three hour podcast, but we will have to wrap up soon. But mm. I, I want to move on to your next book. But, but before I do that, how did that change your opportunities within, within publishing and, 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 and the rapidly changing lands, landscape of writing, you know, um, uh, d- did you find things had changed for you? Were there more opportunities? Were there more, more commissions? So post winning that exceptionally prestigious award, um, how did things change for you?
1: Fundamentally, they didn't change. I mean, I, I'd written that book in my free time away from Rula, you know, weekends, mornings, evenings, and I went back to roulette because I mean, that's what I still love, you know, telling stories and, and interviewing pro cyclists and uncovering races that I deserve more attention. There was some prize money and I did spend some of it on a Colnago, my, my dream teenage bike. Very um, nice. Very nice. Which, which I don't ride nearly as much as I should actually, you know, there's, I think it's got a puncture from the summer that, that I haven't fixed, you know, so... It wasn't the best purchase. Uh, Maybe I need to ride more, but it's an investment anyway. Um, That was the main way my life changed. I I got a beautiful Italian bike that I'd wanted since I was 15 years old. Was it a a, a vintage
0: uh, Kornhager then?
1: No, it's a C60.
0: All right, very nice. So I thought about getting
1: C40, but uh, I got a C60 with with rim brakes, uh, just because I I kind of felt that's how it should be. Also, I don't know the much about mechanics, and me and like disc brakes probably wouldn't get on.
0: That sounds like it sounds like a safe move, mate. Sounds like, like what you'll have to do. You have to send us a picture of that bike. But um, so just leading on to God is Dead, which again has been nominated, and um, I, I, I honestly didn't realise that it was tomorrow. Literally, the time of recording. What are we? What's the date today? Thirtieth November. So tomorrow is the award. Um, best of luck with that. But just give me. Um, or give people a bit of a, an insight into what led you to writing about Frank Vandenbroek. A rider that I actually... I didn't obviously write against Simpson. I am old, but not that old. But I did ride against uh, against Frank Vandenbroek. And even then, he was something... He had... He was... It, <sighs> It was just prodigious, uh, but but meeting him close up and racing with him was quite an interesting experience. I mean, it's one of the few riders that I can name on one hand, actually, throughout my four decades of riding, who had a presence, an an, an intangible presence when they just walked in the room. But you've obviously written um, a very o- honest, and open, and revealing book ab- about about the fallen star. So again, a, an amazing character. But what led you to to decide to write? I need to write about Frank.
1: Well, first, I think, I think it was kind of like convening with my teenage self that I had known Frank Vandenbroek when I got um, into cycling, but it was the later Frank Vandenbroek after the success. So he, he was this pr- prodigious bike racer, as you say, who won pretty much his first pro race, tour the Med in the mid-90s. He won Liege-Baston-Liege in, in 1999 and won many races, especially with Mappe, the great Mappe team in the mid to late 90s. But he had a precipitous fall from grace. Um, he had addictions to seeping pills and various drugs. And I knew him as kind of the, the plucky loser who had gone through all this stuff and still finished second in the 12 Flanders in 2003, I think, to Peter Van Peth again. He was this figure back then to me who kept having these rises and falls of you know luck and problems for still coming back and somehow performing on the bike, which struck me then. And I had a faster board load Jersey, which is one of his teams, but to honest, I think it was actually because of Pataki, the Italian sprinter yeah. who won <laughs> like loads. And, um, so I'd always, I think I've been drawn to him without fully knowing it. And then I really dug into the story and I realized there was just so much to it that people didn't know. And, I also wanted to make it a human story, you know, so half, half of it, it's a tale of this kid brought up in a bar in Belgium, a place which worships cycling, um, talking to everyone, being the apple of everyone's eye and coming through, you know, charismatic, handsome, winning races at the age of 20, when the other stars were, how to put it politely, a bit bland and much older, like Tony Waringer, yeah. Indurain, yep. Johan Museu, and Vanderbroek was a ray of light through all of this. Um, but also, of course, <laughs> he turned pro in maybe one of the worst eras to turn pro, like when doping was endemic, yep. and it was a nuclear period for cheating. And so it's kind of, it's a really complicated book, you know, as a kind of biographer, like you have to have empathy is my feeling, but you have to be objective too. So I could kind of see how Vandenbroek was very fallible for many of the things he did, but he was also failed by systems and people. Yeah, but he was loved by so many people, he had that presence, that charm, but he was also chasing love his whole life, his whole career, you know, which is a really sad thing that I go into in the book. Um, yeah. you have all these kind of shades of, of gray, really often is what I'm trying to say. And hopefully my other journalism brings that out like in other people sometimes too. Um,
0: I, th- I think the w- one thing I do love about, about your writing is there's, it's, it's never particularly dense. I mean, I've, I've read quite well, a few cycling books over, over the years and some of them are, you know, are, 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 they range from good to excellent, but some are very dense. But what you have is a real crispness and a real clear way, way of, of conveying the story, uh, which makes it very easy to read and, and and so an easy read. Quite often, you can think, well, an easy read. It's because it's it's not particularly. Com- it's just not compelling. But you have such a deft touch that, um, but you convey things very very easily. So you, you're immediately in that in that particular realm and in that particular world. So um, clearly, that's been recognised by a lot of people. So I'm, I'm I've just read the first part of the book. Um, a lovely bit that. The that you didn't mention in your little summary there was the the, the his brief foray into into the circus which is <laughs> again just illustrates his uh, how I don't know how intriguing a character he was and and the fact i think it's worth saying um i think, uh, going back to the the situation with the, the endemic use of drugs that he was pretty much up for anything wasn't he and then you can read into that whatever you will and it's, it's quite revealing isn't it the rest of the book in relation to that but um but it's definitely worth the read and um I really hope. Well, fingers crossed for you tomorrow um, at the at, at the awards. Um, and just before we wrap things up, Andy, do, what's the biggest thing that you've learned? I mean, you're still a young man because I was nearly right, wasn't I? You're you're actually 34, um, and you've got a, a lot of writing ahead of you. Two things. Firstly, what's the, what's the best piece of advice that that you've that you've had? And secondly. What Anybody who's listening to the podcast, I know there are lots and lots of, um, of budding writers out there who often contact me about getting involved in the sport, um, reporting on the sport, but what bit of advice would you give to them in relation to, um, in relation to wanting to write?
1: Hmm. I'm just racking my brain for the best piece of advice. Um, maybe I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it's you know, keep it simple, which is actually really hard to do. Um, but it kind of alludes to what you just said. That my feeling is that you know, writing, your writing is, is not showing off that you're the smartest person in the room. Like, yeah. I'm not the smartest person in most rooms, in pretty much any room. Right? In fact, there's a Britney Spears reference in the Frank Vandenberg book. That's my kind of level. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not about that. Like, it, it it's about conveying it. It's about telling a story in the most compelling way possible. Like this writer called Will Self who often peppers his writing with words that send me to a dictionary. That's not writing for me. Like everyone should be, it should be accessible to everyone. Like that doesn't mean that I you know, don't use some you know, long words. Um, but keeping it simple is the hardest thing to do. Also, you know, telling certain stories and the flow of a story. But if you can do that, then it's a great quality to have. Um, as regards advice or would be writers, um, I think I, maybe two bits of advice, but you know, read, different. read widely, read voraciously, sometimes around the subject you're passionate about, sometimes around all kinds of subjects, because that can only help your you know knowledge of the world. And also the things you notice in other people's writing. Um, and the other thing is write, just write. Like if there's any, I want to be writers listening. Maybe there's some pro cyclists who Sometimes confidence stops people from, you know, putting pen to paper or typing on their laptop. Like maybe just spend half an hour writing down your thoughts or, you know, start a blog and just practice writing. Like the more writing you do, generally the better you get.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really sage um, bit of advice. It's it's also a simple piece of advice. It's not complicated. I think um, I have written bits, as I said in the past, but – the biggest bit of advice was actually given by ian ian cleverly because i i was mm. i was thinking when i wrote for ruler i was thinking i had to write for ruler and i forgot about who i was and i, I the first draft went through and he said i think you're trying a bit too hard here matt and i said what do you mean he said well it doesn't sound like it's you and i was like ah right so i just i just he said just get it on the page get it on the page tell the story And then we can we can we can craft it from there, really. Yes. And that was that was do you know what? That was absolutely liberating because I thought I had to be a writer in inverted commas. And it's like, no, no, no. Just convey this story. It's you. Um, And when I learned that, it became a lot easier. (laughs) I must admit, it was very, very simple. I just thought being a writer, I had to be somebody different and obviously you can get writing as a skill as well as a craft it's something you can hone but in its simplest term it's just getting it on the page in the first instance and not um, and breaking down all those barriers those preconceptions that you have about what being a writer is I guess
1: you've reminded me that basically Ian gave me the same um, advice when I had just started at Rouleur I kind of wrote this feature in an overwrought trying too hard way because I thought I had to write maybe a little bit differently for Rouleur. Yeah. and like Ian you know Fantastic friend that he is. Fantastic colleague for nine years. He sat me down and basically said the same thing: like, don't try so hard. Just, you know, we've hired you because you're because you're a good writer. Just write the way that you write. And that was liberating. Is again the word. Like, yeah.
0: Well, well, uh, Andy, it's been um, it's been a wonderful part. It's it's whizzed by. I was w- really worried that the, the police were going to take a second bite uh, a minute ago um, when they nearly turned up again. Thankfully, that they've they've gone now. Um, but just thanks again. Best of luck. Um, we will obviously uh, mention in dispatches what actually happens tomorrow. Please, please, uh, please let me know. All the best with that and thanks for being so generous with your time we've we've gone well, well over but it's been really worth it and um, I'd love to chat to you again because we've I think we've only just scratched the surface but hopefully people listening to this will know a little bit more about you where you're from what you're about and um, and all I can say is just continue to do what you do because you, you give people a lot of pleasure and you open this sport up It's a beautiful complex um, problematic sport in many ways it's it's i think it's the best sport there is and you and you breathe an extra life into it and and you um you convey it in a way that i think um is is exceptionally special and unique so just keep doing what you're doing mate
1: thank you matt thank you now been an absolute pleasure
0: What a fantastic chat we had. Brilliant stuff, Andy. What a top lad. Uh, And I can update you on the William Hill Award. It didn't go Andy's way in 2022, but to get shortlisted for the prize is a huge honor in itself. And I can attest, God Is Dead is another absolutely fantastic read. Cheers, Andy. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you as ever for listening. Don't forget to like, follow, and rate the pod, and maybe give it a little review if you feel like it. And, one recommend recommended to any real life Andy McDobbins. He might enjoy the fact that their name was used as an alias by a budding young journalist in the early 2000s. Now, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do. Our email address is as follows it's quite simply podcast at sigmasports.com. Or you can leave a message or a voice note on our WhatsApp burner phone number, which is plus four four seven 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 eight three two three two six eight. And finally, a massive thanks again to Andy for joining us on the podcast today. And I hope he continues to enjoy his wonderful literary career wherever it may take him next. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.